How's everyone doing? Can you do me a favor? Can you just turn to somebody who you came with and just put your hand on their shoulder if you can and say, it is well. It is well. All right, the reading today is going to be from James chapter 3 and verses 1 to 12. Um, I'm going to read from the NLT version. Hopefully it will be similar to the, what we have there. But, um, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. I should probably stop right there. Um, um, For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make large horses go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord our Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in his very image. And so blessings and curses come pouring out from the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up out of both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And somebody said amen to God's reading. All right. Before I talk about my talk, I want to tell you guys a dream that I had on October 2019. In case you're unaware, the Bible teaches that in the last days, God will pour out his spirits. And one the results of that is people have visions and dreams. And so I try to pay attention to my dreams. And so I have a dream journal where every single time I dream, I wake up and sometimes even in the middle of the night and just try to note down what it is the dream has said. And I begin to prayerfully ask the Lord for an interpretation. And so in this dream, it was like we were all locked up in this building And we were frightened and scared. And I was aware that in the dream, some kind of virus had attacked the world and it caused all of us to be locked up in a house and in a place. This is October 2019. And we were all frightened. And I remember one of my my brothers, we were locked up in this house. My brother opened a room because he knew the people standing outside. And I said, why did you open the door? And one of them touched me, and I knew somehow that I was infected. But in this dream, it was kind of apocalyptic. And so when you were infected, you'd sort of turn into like a zombie. You can tell I watch too many films, right? Um, So anyway, in this dream, um, I then get out of this building, and I'm searching in a forest, and I have this sense from God, I am going to give you the answer to the problem. And the world seemed to be in chaos, 
And as I'm searching for the answer, the Lord gives me an answer. And he says, Andrew, this is the solution to the problem. And God tells me the solution. And, and to hear the solution, you have to listen to the end of this talk. <laughs> I'll give the resolve then. But in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, James starts by talking about a subject that seems like James... Did you have something to eat last night that has sort of sent you off, you know, off whack? What's going on? Because we've started in, in James chapter 1 and in James chapter 2 and James is covering incredible things. I mean, he opens up chapter 1 and says, brethren, count it all joy when you go through various trials. I mean, who starts a letter like that? Count it joy when you go through trials, right? And he says, for what the testing of your faith produces patience, and when patience has had its perfect work in you, you will become a perfect man, lacking nothing. And it's like, perfect man, lacking nothing? Where is James getting this concept or theory, let's call it a theory for now, of perfection, that we can somehow be perfect? Well, in honest truth, he got it from his big brother, because as we've learned, James was Jesus' little brother, or half-brother. And... Um, and so Jesus in the Beatitudes, at the end of Beatitudes, actually ends them by saying, then you shall be perfect like your heavenly father. And I'm saying that because in chapter three, all of a sudden, he introduces the concept of talking about the tongue. And listen to what he says. We just read him. He said in verses two, indeed, we all make many mistakes. And listen to what he says. He says, for if we could control our tongue, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. In other words, if I want to see how spiritually mature you are, I don't have to look at your life. I just have to look at how you speak. The tongue. And this sounds crazy. I mean, it sounds like James. I mean, this is, this sounds like you're being a little bit, you're taking this a bit too intense. But you see, James is learning from Jesus himself. And in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 34, we find Jesus talking about the same subject, the same subject of the tongue. Now, trust me, I know what you guys are probably thinking. You're saying, Andrew, how does this have any relevance to my life right now? And I promise you, by the end of this talk, hopefully, you're going to see that this has an incredible sense of relevance to all of our lives and every situation we will ever face. And part of the reason why I wanted the young people to stay in, in this talk was because if only I had learned this at a much younger age, I, 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 it would have made a whole lot of difference. And so I'm hoping that by the end of this talk, as brief as it might be, that you will be able to say that, oh my goodness, this is, this is a game changer. Because when the Lord taught it to me, it was a game changer. So, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34, listen to what Jesus says. He starts off by saying, you brood of vipers. Like, and just to give context here, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Um, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And you can tell he's kind of upset right now. He's upset with them because they've become very legalistic and they've put all these burdens on the people about what it means to approach God and experience God. And he's upset with them because they've made God out to be something he was never originally to be. And so people feel, 
people feel this heavy weight when it comes to attaining or experiencing God. So he says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Let's carry on. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Such heavy words. Such heavy words. Now, before we just dismiss this, we have to remember who's talking. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the word made flesh. So if there's anyone to give us a tuition on on the power of words, it is Jesus who spoke the worlds into existence, who keeps the world in its orbit purely from speaking. So if there's anyone we need to listen to when it comes to the word, it's it's the guy talking. And he simply says this, it is impossible to speak good things and be... And, and be a bad person. It's impossible to be a bad person and speak good things. In other words, there is a direct correlation from what you say and your actions. The two can never be separated. Now, for a moment, you might, you know, in a certain environment, say nice things. But if you, you probably stick around and get to know somebody for a week, see them when they're comfortable, listen to how they speak, you can start to really understand who a person is. But Jesus introduces this crazy concept, which is that on the day of judgment, we are going to be judged or acquitted by what we said. It's like, what? Is it that serious? Like, honestly, is how I talk that important? And Jesus' answer is yes. So my question then becomes, why is it so important, Jesus? Well, thankfully, um, he teaches us. In the Bible. Um, let us go in John chapter 6. And you see, part of the reason, John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 6 to 3, but part of the reason why this is difficult for us as a society is because we have a school uh, uh, playground rhymes that say, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I'm here to submit to you, that is not entirely true. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words, my friend, can be very dangerous. They can cause a lot of pain. And Jesus says, in John chapter 6 and verse 63, he says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. So Jesus, while speaking to his disciples, says, I'm speaking to you, but what you're hearing is not sound waves merely going through the air and hitting your eardrum. No, no, no. Hammer, amber, and stirrup. I'm trying to remember my biology. And then, and then entering a signal through my brain and you're understanding me communicating to you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says, no, what I've spoken to you is spirit and it is life. Implying that it could be something else. Well, we know this 
In Proverbs chapter 18, I'm turning to a lot of verses because I didn't want to get up here and just and say some stuff and think, where is this in the Bible, Andrew? Are you talking from the Bible, Andrew? I want to make sure I give you all the references so you can go and look it up yourself, right? Proverbs chapter 18 and verses 21 says this. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, Jesus said, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. He could have said, the words that I have spoken to you are carnal and they are death. The reason why God says that we're going to have to give account for every idle word we've ever spoken is because every time you speak, your words either err on death or they err on life. Just tap your nape and say, are you okay? <laughs> I know it sounds a bit heavy right now. Trust me, it gets good. And just to show you how powerful words are, there's no better example than looking at Israel, the nation that God created in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Lord brings together this nation called Israel. And the reason he brings it together is because he wants it to be an example to the rest of the nations how loving he is as a father God, how loving he is as a God. And he wants how well he treats Israel to be an example to all the other nations so all the other nations can say, snap, crackle and pop. I want our God to be the God of Israel, right? But Israel has a challenge because it has ebbs and flows. It, it keeps, it keeps um, being obedient, then it's not being obedient. But one of the ways he devised in, in, way, in, a, in a way to be a blessing to Israel is that he's going to bless the entire nation so that it can prosper in every single way. Now, when we say blessing, what do I mean? A blessing is a supernatural empowerment that it might go well with you. Right? That's all it is. Yeah? It's a supernatural empowerment that things just work. You apply for the job and it seems like you just got it. You can't seem to understand it. It's just like everything I touch just seems to work. Why? That's the blessing, right? And so God devised a way to bless an entire nation. And do you know how that blessing is going to come? Is it through some rituals and some rain dances? No. The high priest stands up typically once a year over the nation and simply speaks. The blessing is transferred through speech. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We also find in the Old Testament another concept, and, and the concept is called the birthright, right? So what would happen is when you have a child, the firstborn would have the birthright, yeah? Would typically get the most of your inheritance, right? So we find this story in Genesis where Jacob... Um, where, sorry, Isu, well, was it Isaac? So Isaac has two children, Isu and Jacob. They're both twins, right? But it's Isu who's born first, yeah? So he's born first, and so it comes to the point when Isaac is, is in old age, he's going blind, and he's about to die, and he says, come, my son Isu, let me bless you. Jacob overhears it and says, you know what? I want the birthright. I want the blessing. So he, he tricks his dad, dresses up as his twin brother, Right? And the father blesses or transfers the birthright to Jacob. And how does he do it? Through speech. Your tongue and your words 
are so powerful that they don't just affect you. They affect generations that come after you. This should not shock us. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed out of God's command. And the Bible teaches that we are made in God's image. So if God creates the universe through his words, guess what we are creating through our words? Now, I, 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 I love it when um, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'm always, I, I believe the Bible is true. And so I firmly believe that because it's true, and it's the inspired word of God, that all truths will point to its reality and truth. So I'm always intrigued to find out what science is trying to say concerning scriptures, right? And so I thought you guys might find this interesting. Well, if you didn't, you're going to have to bear with me because I'm up here right now. But I found it very interesting, right? And it's, um, I found this out. In a new study titled Language Can Boost Otherwise Unseen Objects into Visual Awareness, researchers from the University of Wisconsin and Madison um, cognitive scientist and psychology professor Gary Lupian and Emily Ward, a Yale University graduate student, confirm the power of language to alter perception. Their findings were published in August 2013, a journal proceeding on the, um, um, of the National Academy of Science. Now, this is what their study found. What the study showed is that words create reality by shifting one's perception to either notice or reject visual elements within their world. Now, for the layman, for us who are just trying to understand and somebody like, <laughs> that went over me. In layman's language, what that simply means is if you speak negatively or have consistently negative conversations, you start seeing negativity all around you. It also proved that if you speak positively and engage in positive conversations, you will see positivity all around you. So in other, way, in other words, we are living in one world, but our experience of that world is completely different. And what determines that experience is the conversations we're engaging in. Each one of us lives in a world that is as unique as the conversations we're having. Have you ever made a new, new, a new bunch of friends and you have different conversations with these friends and all of a sudden your worldly views, your worldviews changes? You start noticing things that you previously didn't notice. You start seeing things that you didn't previously see. What is this study showing us? The power of life and death is in the top. Now I'm saying this because some of us are like, and I know how I felt as God began to teach me this and, and as he continues to teach me this, it's like, Lord Jesus, my words. <laughs> I don't know whether you feel like me. It's like, my goodness, you don't want to say what I, Lord, what I said on Wednesday and what I said on Tuesday. It's like, my goodness. And a reason and a part of reason why many of us start to think, Andrew, I think you're taking this a bit too serious. Um, because a lot of us don't see how our words correlate with our real life many times. 
And the reason that is, and I've asked the Lord this, I said, Lord, I don't really get it because I can, I've said a bunch of stuff and I haven't really seen a lot happen. And when you look at the Bible, the actual correlation of how the power of words works is found in a parable of the seed and the sower. A parable where Jesus explains a farmer throwing seed and seed falls on all this different ground and some germinates. And, and when he's giving the interpretation of this parable, he says this. He says, the seed is the word. So you see, when we speak, it's not that our words just magically automatically happen. No, sometimes that might be the case. But many times when we're speaking, we're actually sowing seeds into the atmosphere. Every time you speak to your children, you're sowing seeds. Every time you speak to your spouse, you're sowing seeds. Every single time you speak to your friends, your loved ones, your community, you're sowing seeds seeds and these seeds will germinate it's just a matter of time it's the same way as in when you sow a real seed you put it in the ground and do you see it sprout out immediately no there's usually around four days or so depending on the kind of seed it is right um that it takes time but you begin to see the seed sprouting out why because the seed is burrowing deep underground and increasing its roots and some of us have spoken stuff and we think nothing. It means nothing. And one day, all of a sudden, there's this thing staring at you. And it's fruit. And just before you think that Jesus is the only person who alluded to the fact that words are seeds, we read it in Proverbs chapter 18. Remember how it ended? Proverbs chapter 18. It said this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat its fruits. Again, alluding to the words being seeds that can be sown. So why are we giving this talk and why does James give this talk? Because spiritual maturity is linked to how you speak. But more so than that, this talk should serve to remind you that you are actually very powerful. Because you can speak things into existence. And I'm saying that because at the end of my dream, the Lord gave me a mantle. You're all waiting for that. Or well, some of you are like, I'm just waiting for the end part, really. Right? <clears throat> the Lord gave me a mantle, a solution to the problem. And I remember in the dream, there was such an intensity of fear in the dream. When I woke up, and I thought about this dream. I'm not claiming to be no prophet. I didn't know the pandemic was going to happen. I had no idea. But it was, had very similar experience to the pandemic. All of us shutting our doors, being afraid of catching a virus. It had all these similarities. I, but beyond that, what I felt God impressed on my heart is that beyond the virus and everything that's happening, there's actually a pandemic of fear in the earth. And even when you now start to think about Ukraine and the, the sense of war looming and, and war actually starting, it's like, oh my goodness, it's so easy to feel completely helpless and to say, what can I do in this situation, honestly? And in the dream, this is what God said to me, Andrew, speak life, not death. Speak life. And in the dream, God was even saying, hold prayer meetings. And in the prayer meetings, I don't want you to do anything other than just speak life into the situation. 
Don't speak what you see, speak life. And I'm here to say to you that the creator of the universe, Jesus, the word himself made flesh, has told us this morning through his word that your words have the power to change the trajectory of history, to change your legacy, to change your family, your community. You can right now begin to change your life simply by changing how you speak. And James makes the case Through your mouth, both comes blessings and curses. And I admonish you as I finish my talk today is let us speak life. As discouraging as the situations might look in our our communities, in our world, in our nations, let us not be tempted to give our voice to curses and darkness. Let us be encouraged to say, God, my, my words have power. And I'm going to speak life. And I'll finish off with this verse of scripture. Amos. Amos chapter 3 verse 7. A peculiar verse in the Old Testament that used to bug me. Hopefully when you see it, you'll understand why it bugs me. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? You're supposed, he's sovereign? And he does nothing without revealing it? I'm sorry, if he's sovereign... Why doesn't he just do what he wants? Why is he chatting to his servants, the prophets? It's like, it's a contradiction. Until you realize what's going on. God is saying, I will do nothing in the earth. What's the primary occupation of a prophet? To decree. To speak. So God says, I will do nothing in the earth until I speak to somebody who will decree it out. Because as they speak it, The Bible then says his angels hearken to his word to perform it. As we speak God's word into the atmosphere, the angelic realm begins to move to perform it. I'm here to encourage you guys. You are not helpless. You are powerful. And you can begin to change your life and destiny by changing how you speak. Somebody say amen.